All right, so we are in week six of our series, The Productive and Effective Life. We're trying to grab hold of eight biblical steps to reaching our full potential. And that's got kind of a nice, cool self-help sort of a feel to it. But really what we're looking for is gaining the tools we need to answer God's call. God has things for us to do. And if we develop the giftings and the skills and the spiritual disciplines that God has for us to develop, then we'll be able to answer that call. If we're, however, not ready to do that, then when the moment comes, we, we can't step into it. Or a lot of God's call is just the character that we develop and just being a particular type of person. And so we want to be able to put these eight things into practice so that we can grab hold of the good things of God. And so let's read this, this in 2 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 3. We're on week six, so see if you can figure out the, the sixth one in the list, and that's the one we're going to be talking about today. So 2 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 3. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. So did you know you have everything you need for life and godliness? You've got it already. Does it feel like you have everything that you need for life and godliness? Here's what you have. You have access to the living God. You have access to the power of God, the truth of God, the spirit of God. That is enough. You have everything you need for life and godliness. Now you have to turn that access into grabbing hold of the things of God. Just because a door is unlocked doesn't mean that you've walked through it. You have access, now walk through the door. Verse 4, through these, His glory and goodness, He has given us His very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. So the great and precious promises of God allow us to participate in the things of God, the nature of God, and to escape the darkness of this world. Verse 5. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith. So step one is faith. Add to your faith goodness. Goodness literally translated is manliness. It basically means the strength to do the right thing. Now you've got some faith, put it into practice. Start doing it. Start living it out. And to goodness, knowledge. When you start doing it and putting it into practice, you start to learn things beyond just theory and the Sunday school answers to stuff. You start to see how it actually works. To knowledge, self-control. To self-control, perseverance. To perseverance, godliness. To godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, love. So here's our eight biblical steps to reaching our full potential. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we can be productive and effective if we can put these eight characteristics into our life in increasing measure. I want to be productive and effective. Amen. How many people want their life to count for something? Yeah. Well, let's make our lives count for something. I think there's two options. You can either try to feel good about yourself while you're not accomplishing anything, or you can actually accomplish some stuff and feel good about that. And the second one's just a lot better. Verse 9, but if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. So we don't want to be there. 
Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure, for if you do these things, you will never fall. Verse 11, and, if, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In verse 12, we save this for the second half of the sermon series. So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth that you now have. So if you know this list of eight things, two more weeks after today, We're going to continue to remind you of these things. And it says in the very next verse that he's going to keep reminding, that that Peter's going to keep telling them this over and over again. Because we need the fundamentals. We need to be on the right track. Because just having uh, some fancy detail over here, but you're going, you know, driving down the wrong road, it doesn't work. We've got to be on the right road, going the right direction, then we can grab hold of the good things of God. So last week we talked about perseverance. Perseverance basically means don't quit. You're doing good things. You're you're walking with God. Don't quit. Don't give up. Don't stop. Keep going. We talked about things to not quit on, to not give up on. In the scriptures, it says to not give up on prayer, to not give up on doing good, and to not give up on meeting together. So those are specifically mentioned in the New Testament. Don't give up on prayer, doing good, and meeting together. Why would it list those three things? Because sometimes people give up on prayer and doing good and meeting together. And it can seem like those things don't really accomplish much in your life and you don't really get anywhere. But here's the deal. Over the long haul, a person who over the last 20 years has been faithful in prayer, who has not grown weary in well-doing, but is continuing to serve the Lord and do right by people, and who has stayed connected with the body of Christ, after that 20-year period, the, the one person who is not given up on those things is going to have a completely different experience of life than the person who's given up on those things. And so over time, we're able to see the fruit of persevering in those areas. We also talked about ways that the scriptures talk about people giving up, people not persevering. They fail to continue down the road. We talked about the parable of the sower, and Jesus mentions that there are, you know, Four types of ground. We talked about the, the, uh, the shallow soil, and that represented the people who at once are like, yay, Jesus loves me, and I get to be forgiven and go to heaven. Well, sweet. And then they get all excited about that, but they don't realize that there's trials and difficulties and persecutions and hardships in life. And so when it gets tough, then they're like, oh, this God thing isn't working as well as I thought, and they fade away. They do not persevere. In that same parable, Jesus talked about the people who uh, just get distracted away from God. The, the seed that fell among the thorns, there's all these weeds and stuff growing up, and it chokes the plant, it doesn't mature. And so these are people who don't intend to quit, but they just get too distracted by life's other things, life's worries, life's difficulties, the things they're chasing after to have a good time. They just get distracted by all that, and they end up quitting on God, not even realizing they have. Then we talked about people who quit because they prefer something else to be true. You know, the itching ears thing. The reality is what's true is true and what's not true isn't true. And we just need to get on board with the truth. Amen. And then we also talked about the example of people quitting on Jesus. A bunch of his disciples left him when he gave a teaching that they didn't understand. It was a strange teaching, especially to them. There's, there's no way I can see that they would have understood what Jesus was saying, but it just seemed wrong to them, so they left. 
And what I said last week, I'm going to say again this week to reiterate the point about persevere when you don't like the truth and persevere when you don't understand the truth. This is the holy, inerrant, inspired Word of God. Amen? I've been walking with God for 30 years. There are things in here that I don't like, and there are things in here that I don't understand. That's no reason to quit. That's no reason to turn around. When I get a greater perspective, I'll like everything because God is good. When I get greater wisdom, I'll understand everything. (laughs) But I don't have that yet. I'm going to continue on trusting God, believing that there are answers to the questions. I just don't know what they are. So let's persevere and not quit. Today, we talk about godliness. This one, godliness, can be a little intimidating because we're trying to touch something big. How many people, if you were asked, are you a godly person, would be like, oh, yep, yep, for sure, definitely, I'm in, godly person. Or does it feel like, boy, you can't even claim that. It's like a little too far to say. I mean, it's easy to say, yep, I make lots of mistakes. <laughs> yep, I'm falling short. But have you been given everything you need for life and godliness? That's what it says. And it's the same word as in this list. Just a few verses later, that we are to add to our faith, goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, knowledge, self-control, self-control, perseverance, and perseverance, godliness. We are to add godliness, that characteristic, to our lives. And there's two more past that. I mean, I feel like we're probably at the top, at the peak. How much farther can we go? This is number six, and there's seven and eight to go. So next couple weeks are going to be rather awesome. But what does it mean to be godly? So I got two goals today. One is to properly define godliness so that we know what we're after. And then goal number two is to understand how to get there. Because it doesn't make any difference if we just know something but we can't get there. We've got to know how to get there. So let's try to define and understand what godliness is. Well, On the surface, it's fairly simple. It just means like God. Godliness, like God, a God-like character, about the things of God, dedicated to God. That's what holy means. Holy can be set aside for God or of the character and the nature of God is holy. Devout is a word that's associated with godliness, a devout follower of Jesus You could literally translate the word godly here as well-reverent, a person who is reverent of God in their daily life, a well-reverent person. So this is talking about reverence and being a devout follower of Christ. This is where the God part of who you are is growing and flourishing and starting to overshadow the other parts of who you are. This is where you're really starting to get it really starting to connect with God and understand. In order to see this, I want to go to Luke chapter 6, verses 43 and 45. This is something that I I did not understand. I thought it was odd and strange, and so I asked the Lord about it, and I I think I have some, at least a little bit of clarity on Luke 6, 43 through 45. So let's read this. Jesus is speaking, and he's trying to help us be able to understand who the good guys are and who the bad guys are. It's a very important 
skill in life is to know who the good guys are and who the bad guys are. You get that wrong, you're going to have a lot of trouble. Luke 6, 43. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. So if you are in the woods and you're looking for blueberries and you find a blueberry plant and you see a blueberry on the blueberry plant, it's a blueberry. But you know, there's other berries that are blue in the woods. You don't want to eat those. And it's not that sometimes a good blueberry grows on one of those other plants. They're never good. And never does one of those other blueberries grow on a blueberry plant. It's always just a good blueberry. So a, a good, no good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. There's a distinction between good and bad. Verse 44. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. The good man brings good things up out of the good stored up in his heart, and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For out of the overflow of his heart, his mouth speaks. So Jesus is trying to help us to be able to see the difference between good people and evil people. And he says a good tree can't bear bad fruit and a bad tree can't bear good fruit. And a good person is going to bring good out of the overflow of their heart. And an evil person is going to bring evil out of the overflow of their heart. And so there you go. And I thought to myself, I've seen really good people do bad things. And I've seen really bad people do good things. How does that work? What's the deal with that? And here's how I understand it. Don't build a theology out of this. You know, I'd get myself in some trouble. And, you know, anyway. But here's how I see it. There's two trees growing in me. There's not just one. There's two. There's the born again, new life in Christ growing in me. And there's the sinful nature, the old ways, the ways of, of darkness in me too. The Apostle Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 7. You know, the good I want to do, I don't do. And the bad things I don't want to do, I keep on doing. He says, that's sin living in me. In his, in his inner being, he delights in God. But then he sees himself doing stuff that he shouldn't be doing. And it's like, he's got these two things going on. So there's the good God stuff in my life. And then there's the other stuff in my life. And the two trees are growing and they're competing. And... You know, when you first get saved, it's a beautiful time of getting to know God, but you've got all these things to overcome in your life. You've got all these habits, all these misunderstandings, these mentalities that need to be changed, and it's, it's a long, arduous process of mind renewal. But then the, the sinful nature, that, that tree of darkness in the inside of us begins to shrink, and that born-again nature, the Spirit of God in us, the, the understanding of God and the, the heart of God in us begins to grow. And when that tree starts to get bigger and really overshadow and overcome the tree of the sinful nature, that's when we get to this place of godliness. And it's, it's a beautiful place to be, but you can't fake it. You can't pretend. Let's look at our list of eight things and overlap them onto John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. So first, I want to talk about the eight things and the three subcategories in the eight things. I see this as a significant progression, and we need to know what we're getting at when we get to 6, 7, and 8. So parts 1, 2, and 3. 
Add to your faith goodness. So add to your faith the strength to put your faith into practice. And to goodness, knowledge. So once you put your faith into practice, you start learning things about God. So when you pray, what happens? Well, if you don't pray, you'll never know. But if you pray, you'll start to see, okay, well, this happens. That didn't happen that I thought would happen. How does that? And you start to learn about the things of God. And so those three things, faith, putting your faith into practice, and the knowledge that you get from that are the growing of the God thing inside of you. The growing of your born-again new nature, your new man. So by faith in what God has done, you're born again. You put that into practice, it grows. You start to learn more, that continues to grow. Now you've got a beautiful God thing happening in your life. Your mentalities are starting to change. You're starting to see God better. But now you've got something to protect. And so self-control and perseverance are the steps designed to protect the beautiful God thing. So self-control is the strength to not do the wrong thing. So maybe, like with, with my wife and I, maybe that... We're now starting to live a godly marriage and we're starting to see what love and respect is all about and and what it means to live in God's plan A marriage that's just a good thing in in many different ways. But then I just start belittling her and swearing at her. Now now what's going to happen? It's over, right? I mean, now our relationship is going to be damaged because I didn't have the self-control to not do, to, to stop doing the wrong thing. And then what if I don't persevere? You know, like, oh, yeah, well, she did that thing again. I guess I'm just going to check out mentally from this relationship and then don't persevere in that. It's those, those things can ruin the God thing that's growing. So we don't want to ruin it. We must have the strength to not do the wrong thing, and we must persevere and continue on. Then we have the fruit of this whole process in parts 6, 7, and 8, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. Brotherly kindness is the phileo, the brotherly love, and then love is the agape, the God kind of love. We'll talk about those in the next two weeks. But the fruit of this process is something that you have to go through the process in order to get. You don't get to pretend you're there when you aren't. And if you do, it gets weird. So let's look at John 8, 31 and 32 and see where godliness is on this scale here. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, holding to the teaching is faith and goodness, faith and the strength to do the right thing, faith and putting that faith into practice. That's holding to the teachings. Then you are, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth. Of course, the truth is the third one, truth, you know, knowledge. Then you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free is self-control freedom. It's a start but you're having to override something. You want to do the wrong thing, but you have to override that. Is perseverance freedom? Well, you want to quit, but you override that. Freedom is godliness, brotherly kindness, and love where it breaks off of you, where the need to have self-control starts to fade because you don't want to do the wrong thing anymore. When Jesus was here with his disciples and Judas carried the money bag, you know, Judas was the treasurer. How hard do you think it was for Jesus to not sneak over to the money bag and take money out of it? How hard was he? Was he like tempted all like, oh man, I can hardly wait till Judas falls asleep. I'm going to sneak some money and blame it on him. You think Jesus was thinking thoughts like that? No, 
he, he didn't have to override that and go, oh, nope, 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 better not do that. I'm the Messiah. That'll mess it up. I better not do that. I can't be stealing stuff. Uh, okay, I'm going to have the self-control to not do that. He didn't have to override that. He realized that that would be a mess. It would be a, a huge problem. And what is he going to do with a few coins anyway? You know, I mean, he's the, the Alpha and the Omega. He doesn't need that. And so uh, he was free from the temptation to steal. It didn't pull on him. He was free. And godliness is where that the God part of who we are is growing and flourishing so much that we'd rather go to the prayer meeting than watch the game. This is something you may not know about me. I skipped the Super Bowl for years because I'd rather go to church with five people than watch the Super Bowl. I, I mean, we get to do something important when we come to church. We get to connect with God. We get to tap into eternal things. I like watching football. It's fun. Man, I'd rather tap into the Almighty. You know, godliness is where we start to have our vision changed. We see the world differently. Our desires begin to change. We start getting and connecting with the things of God. We're no longer fighting an uphill battle. Now it's starting to make sense to us. So here's the next question. What do you do if you just aren't there, right? Because honestly, what percentage of Christians do you think would be categorized in that godliness place? Many, many people start with step four, and they even miss one, two, and three. They just start with self-control. I'm not going to do that anymore. I know that's wrong. I'm just not going to do that. Well, that's a painful, miserable life because you don't have the tools to overcome that. You're just on your own strength of trying to not do the wrong thing. Well, go, go start at step one. Get you some faith. How do you get faith? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Go ahead and read your Bible and start reading it with eyes of faith and put it into practice. That's step two. Start doing that. Then you start learning some things, and now you can have some self-control. You've got some God things in you to help you win that battle, and you don't have to fight it on your own. You can have success with self-control and perseverance instead of perpetually falling and failing over and over again and then just feeling bad about that. Instead, start with faith and the strength to do the right thing. Put your faith into practice. The things you learn will help you persevere and help you be able to have that uh, self-control so that you don't have to be stuck there. And then we can get to this godly place, but what if we just aren't there? What if we're not free? What if we're stuck? What if we're just in mere perseverance? Well, I don't want to go to hell, so I know I better keep this up, but oh, wouldn't it be great if Jesus came right now because this stinks? Or you're in faith, but you haven't put it into practice. And so you're in that perpetual failure. You see promises, but you don't get any of them because you haven't put any of it into practice and you haven't learned how to get to freedom. You're just at step one, perpetually in step one because you won't put it into practice. What if you're not there? What if you're not at godliness? How do you get there? Well, first thing is don't pretend you're there. There's an icky thing that happens when people don't have God's heart inside of them, but they try to mimic people who do. And so they pretend. You know what I mean? Like, 
let's, let's say we're talking about worshiping in song. There's lots of ways to worship God. One of the ways we can worship God is with music and connecting with God in that way. And let's say you say, well, how does this worshiping God with music, how does that work? Well, you, you have to close your eyes and raise your hands. And if you cry a little bit, that's really good. So you're like, okay, uh, sounds good, you know. So you, you, uh, you, know, you keep an onion in your pocket and you rub your fingers on it. You do a little bit of that. I, I can cry now. Close your eyes and raise your hands. Like, okay, well, look at that. I'm just getting a powerful worship experience here. Uh, is that worth anything? No. Is that weird? Yes. That's weird. And that sort of thing is where you get like legalism and hypocrisy and, and just a lots of weird theological guessing and all this just odd stuff of religion that makes other people think, wow, those people are weird. Because they're trying to act like they think they're supposed to, but they don't get it. That's a disaster. So we don't want to be like that. What we want to do is we want to actually get there. So don't mimic godliness because you can't gut this out. You know, you can gut out self-control. You can gut out perseverance. You can gut out the strength to do the right thing, putting your faith into practice. You can gut that out. You can't gut out godliness. It's a fruit of the other things. You either have it in you or you don't. Like, for example, I can't speak Swedish. My grandmother could speak Swedish, and I can't. If I was to take an exam, a Swedish exam, and I just, and this was my strategy, well, you know, this is America. If you try hard enough, you can do anything, and you can be anybody you want to be, so I'm going to take this Swedish exam, and I'm just going to really want it bad, and I'm going to get an A on my Swedish test. Would that work? No. What do I need to do? I need to learn Swedish. No matter what I do in the test, it's not going to work. What if I pretended to speak Swedish, but I didn't know how? You know, would I get an A? No, I would fail, and I'd be a weird person, right? What if a Swedish person was watching me do that? What if people watch us mimic godliness, but we don't get it? It just is a mess. What we need to do is not just try to gut it out. We need to go back and learn from the start. You know, I would need to go learn Swedish. So we don't just be at that place of, yeah, I want to be a godly person. I want to be a devout follower of Christ. I want to be well reverent in my heart. Um, So ah, go to faith. Build your faith. Put your faith into practice. Learn some things through that. Have some self-control now. Don't ruin the good thing. Persevere. And then the godly thing will start to grow. The godly thing will, will start to grow and flourish and then begin to overshadow the other part of who you are. Now, we all know there's those two things battling inside of us. We have to feed the God thing. And then we get it better. We understand it better. We grow in that. And the other starts to fade. I want to go to James chapter 2 and look at this and kind of overlap it with faith and grace versus deeds. Have you heard people talk about, you know, like we're saved by grace so we don't have to do stuff, you know? How does that exactly work? Um, I think it has a lot to do with mimicking godliness when we don't understand. So 
Let's go to James chapter 2, starting in verse 14, and let's see if we can't get a, a, a good grip on this. James 2, verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? So if we map this onto our list of eight steps, James is saying, okay, you have faith, but you don't, you don't put it into practice. How many people have seen someone who claimed to be a Christian, but they don't live like a Christian at all? They don't put their faith into practice. Does that seem perfectly fine? Nobody likes that with other people, but with themselves, they might put up with that. <laughs> but with other people, nobody likes someone who talks the talk, but doesn't walk the walk. So James is saying, you, you got faith, but you're not putting it into practice. That's a problem. Verse 15. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does, does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? So if you're, not, if you're not willing to help, if you talk about, like next week, love your brothers and sisters in Christ, if you talk about that, but you don't ever help a brother or sister, what good is that? It doesn't make any difference if you talk about it, you've got to do it. Verse 17, in the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. So where's the problem? Is the action the problem, or is there something wrong with the faith, according to verse 17? What's the thing that's dead? It says, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. There's a faith problem. We're saved by grace through faith. If we've got a faith problem, that's not good. We want our faith to be vibrant and strong and alive. We don't want it to be dead. And a good tree bears good fruit. A bad tree bears bad fruit. If we got bad fruit coming, then that indicates there's something wrong with the tree. If the actions and the behaviors that we have indicate that there's something wrong with where our heart is with God, then it can be a faith problem, not a deed problem. Verse 18. But someone will say, you have faith I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. Verse 19, you believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Now, it's super unfortunate if all you're trying to do is avoid hell. That's a shallow, sad life with God, is just trying to not go to hell. There is so much beauty, so many wonderful things, such great news about who God is and who you are, don't just try to avoid hell. Try to find God. Put your faith in the goodness of God, the plan of God, and grab hold of it, seeing all the good things. Verse 20, you foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? James lets her fly. I like James. Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? So, what if Abraham had said, yes, Lord, I completely believe in you, but I ain't doing that? That wouldn't work, right? It wouldn't work. Yes, Lord, I completely believe in you. I'm not going to follow your instructions. Then you don't believe. You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. This verse is why several theologians have wanted to remove the book of James from the canon. Look at that. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. Are we saved by grace through faith? Can we earn our salvation by what we do? No. So this is a head scratcher. How do we see this? Let's keep reading. We'll try to get a grip on it. 
Verse 25. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. So how do we understand that? Faith without deeds is dead. What's the thing that's dead? Faith. It's the same as in verse 17. The faith was the thing that's dead. So what we don't want to do is have dead faith and add deeds to it, right? You don't want to have dead faith and then just go to church more. You want to have dead faith and then just give to more missionaries. You don't want to have dead faith and sing louder. You don't want to have dead faith and say, God bless you all the time. You want to just fix the faith part, (laughs) right? So mimicking godliness isn't going to solve any problems. It's just going to be weird. We have to work on our faith and build our faith and connect with God and grow there. Then we can get to the place where we see a beautiful thing. And I think I have a way of explaining how we are saved by grace through faith, not from our own because, so that no one can boast, and also we better get to work. I think I know how that works. Have you ever wondered about that? Like, So a godly, devout person, are they supposed to pray? Sure. Should they read their Bible? Go to church? Give? Serve? Yep. So then we have to do all these things. So are we required to do all these deeds? I thought we were saved by grace and we shouldn't have to do a bunch of stuff. So how does it work? I think I understand. I'm going to share that with you. Let me know if you agree. So before I submit my life to Christ, I'm working for me. I'm trying to advance my cause. I'm trying to make money for me. I might be working for another company, but I'm really working for me to get my paycheck so that I can live the life I want to live. I'm trying to get people to like me. I'm trying to advance my cause. I'm trying to live my life for me, to enjoy life, to live the life I want. I'm in it for me, right? When I give my life to Christ, I lay my life down. But that's not it. That's not the end of it. I also now start to serve God. I start to advance His kingdom. I work for Christ. I work for God's glory. I try to advance His kingdom, bring the light into the darkness. I work for the Lord, not for me. So I still have things to do, but I don't work for me anymore. I'm not trying to prove myself. I'm not trying to justify myself. I'm working for Jesus. I'm trying to justify Him. I'm trying to bring God's glory. I'm trying to advance God's kingdom. I'm working to serve Him, not me. So I don't serve God in order to prove myself to God to be good enough. I don't serve God in order to justify myself. God likes me, and that's enough. But I want to serve the Lord because now I've laid my life down, and I'm going to serve God's kingdom. So I work for Him. I'm not trying to prove myself. I'm working for Jesus. So instead of working for me and the deeds being for me, and my justification, and my advancement, I know that's taken care of. I'm in the hand of God. Now I work for Christ to advance His kingdom and His glory. So the whole point of all of that is that if we try to add behaviors onto a a heart that's in the wrong place, it's just going to get weird. And we'll have these weird theologies, and we'll have all this stuff get funny. So here's the question. Where are you at? If we are to look at this progression, where are you? 
I'm going to invite the prayer teams up. We're going to close here momentarily. But I want us to do a self-assessment. Where are you? Now, where on this progression of add to your faith, goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, knowledge, self-control, self-control, perseverance, perseverance, godliness, godliness, brotherly kindness, brotherly kindness, love, where on that do we get saved? Where does that happen? Where do we get forgiven and brought into the family of God? It happens on the first minute that we start the progression. It happens at faith. It happens right there. It doesn't happen when we go from from self-control to perseverance into godliness. That's not where now we're good enough to be saved. It starts at the beginning when we put our hope and trust in God. How good at being a follower of Christ do you have to be to be saved? Well, you can be the most incompetent Christian in the world. You know, all the things you've built will burn up, (laughs) but you'll be saved as one escaping through the flames. But as long as you put your trust and your faith in God, you're secure in Him. Now, don't worry about yourself. Start advancing God's kingdom. Let's see if we can grab this from Romans chapter 5. Verses 1 and 2 are our hug from heaven, and then we'll go later in the chapter for a little deeper understanding. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So here Paul is saying to the church in Rome, and it applies to us as well, that by faith we access the grace of God, and we just rejoice in that. Hallelujah. It's not by our actions. And then let's jump to, uh, to verse 6. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Who did Christ die for? The ungodly. What are we trying to get to today? Godliness. Who did Jesus love enough to die for? The ungodly. So if we're somewhere in that progression, how scared do we need to be of the judgment of God? Let's keep going. Verse 7. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So what does Jesus think about sinners? He loves them enough to sacrifice for them so that they can be set free from the consequences of their sin. Verse 9. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? So who did Jesus reconcile to him? His enemies. So the ungodly, sinner, enemy of God is the one that Jesus loves so much to die for on the cross and to bring in. If you're a believer, but you're just not very good at it, hey, you're not an enemy of God. Don't be scared. I feel like sometimes people are afraid to see where they're at. They're afraid to see what's the state of my faith. What's the the place I'm at with God? Don't be afraid to look. He loves his enemies. How much more will he love you now that you're at least trying? Don't be afraid. He loves you. But here is where we must be real. Because you can't fake godliness. You can't, you can't gut it out. It has to grow in you. And so in order to get there, we've got to see where we're at, build our faith, put it into practice, learn more things, 
get some more self-control, persevere through more difficulties, and we can believe God for that good tree in us to grow and flourish and start overshadowing everything else. That's where we get to godliness. So let's pray together. Let's do a little self-assessment and then trust God to bring us into good things because man, an ineffective life with Christ is so frustrating and painful. We want to get to the other side. Heavenly Father, you are so good. Lord, we thank you for all the, the good things you've done for us. And Father, we thank you that, that while we were your enemies, that you reconciled to us. You reconciled us to you. You brought us in. You loved us. You cared about us. Lord, let no one who has faith in you be in a place of insecurity. Let us not be afraid of what you might do, and so we hide who we are from you. We know that can't work anyway. So, Lord, we open ourselves up before you, and we ask you to show us where we're at. Where is our faith? Where is our goodness? What do we see and understand and know? Lord, where are we at? Because we want to get to some good places. We want to get to the place where, where we know you more, and we we have our vision changed and we see the world in different ways and, and we just have joy. And, but Lord, we can't fake that. So show us where we're at so that we can start over and grow that good God thing in our hearts. And Lord, for those who see there's nothing there, now is the time to believe. Now is the time to say, Lord, forgive me of my sins Make me your child and help me to learn your ways and walk in your ways. You can just make that choice right now because it's, it's there waiting. That relationship with God is just sitting there for the taking. It's already been paid for and provided for you. Just take it. Lord, help us to walk in your ways. Help us to know your joy. Lord, help us. Help us to see. Father, you are so good. We love you and we honor you. And I ask for you to bless each one here. Give them peace in a storm. Give them a joy knowing that you've got this and that we have a future with you. And Lord, help us all to know how much you care about us, how much you love us, so that we can have our hearts filled up and have extra love to share with everyone in our lives. Lord, let it be. In Jesus' name, amen.